Welcome to Adapt, episode 19, which is brought to you by Pingdom and Previs Pro. My name is Ryan Christofel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Federico Vatici. How's it going today, Federico? Hello, Ryan. I am extremely good today. It's a beautiful day here in Rome, and I'm ready to talk about the iPad with you. Oh, wow. Extremely good. That sounds really nice. Yeah, I'm in a good mood. Hopefully, you know, (laughs) I will not ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's only 3 p.m. for me. So (laughs) we are going to talk about something that maybe could be considered a negative when it comes to our our topic today. But but hopefully your your good mood will allow us to stay positive throughout the whole discussion. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, it's it's a topic that is born out of love, really. Um, So I thought uh, over the past few episodes, we've been talking about all kinds of things we would like to see come to the iPad. We've talked about multitasking. We've talked about shortcuts. Um, we have a fun challenge <laughs> to discuss today that I assigned to you, Ryan. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to touch upon a few, uh, really four topics. And these are four tasks that I still cannot fully complete on iPad. Um, I have covered some of these in different places before. Maybe I've mentioned one on Mac Stories, maybe I've covered another one on Connected or App Stories, but never all together in, in the same place, which I thought you know would be a fun opportunity to do so here on Adapt. Um, and again, I want to stress before we dig into these problems that they are not the kinds of issues that uh, would push me to drop the iPad completely and stop using the iPad. I've learned how to live with them. They are not essential tasks for my everyday computing. And by that, I mean, it's not that without these features, I am unable to write or manage my business on the iPad. It's just, I notice their absence and it would be great to have these features on iPad OS. For now, I'm still using a Mac because I I have a Mac Mini that I use for other things that the iPad cannot do, and it's fine. I can live without these features, but I still think there's room for bringing them over to iPadOS and making them work on iPad. So the first one is the ability to record a proper Skype call using Audio iJack. So the ability to record, to do podcasts and record audio the same way that I do on the Mac. Um, as we covered before, I can do podcast recordings on my iPad now. I have a setup that I wrote about last year in my Beyond the Tablet story. It was inspired by Jason Snell's iPad podcasting setup, and I made some modifications to that. Uh, so you can go check out the story from May 2019 for more details and photos. But with that setup, which, by the way, got a bit better, uh, with iPadOS, thanks to the native integration of SD cards in the Files app, so I don't, I no longer need um, a Wi-Fi box for that. That setup, though, is still missing the ability to record multiple audio streams. Um, when I do podcasts on my Mac, for example, right now I have two recording sessions going on at the same time. I am recording my local end of the conversation using QuickTime while having a Skype call with Ryan. And I can see the Skype window in one corner and the QuickTime window in another corner. And this first step already is impossible to do on iPad because you cannot record your end of the conversation coming from an external microphone that is plugged into the iPad 
while having a Skype call at the same time. This first step is already not possible. But also what I do is I have a second layer of recording for backup purposes. I use Audio Hijack from Rogamiba to record the Skype call. So uh, not my local audio, but um, what happens in the Skype call. Uh, so, which means that I also have Ryan's audio as it's coming through from Skype. Um, and that allows me to always have a backup of whatever was said during the podcast. So in case the QuickTime fails, which happened to me before, I always have a second copy that includes my local audio and the Skype audio at the same time. And this has been, I mean, I've been, I've, I've been doing podcasts for, I'm coming into my seventh year. So I started doing podcasts in 2013 and I've always done podcasts this way. I've tried other services, right? There's a web services that you can sort of use on iPad now um, to record podcasts in a web browser, but I really just want to be able to use my setup uh, to have a local conversation being recorded and to have a, a, a Skype conversation going on at the same time. And I know that people have recommended to me over the years, why don't you host the Skype call on your iPhone and you record the audio on your iPad? But as I wrote about last year, I just want to be able to do it all on one single device. And that is impossible on iPad. Which brings me to the to the bigger topic here, which would be, I really think that it's time to have better support for simultaneous audio stream on iPadOS. iPadOS, when you compare it to the, to the Mac, is still severely limited when it comes to managing multiple audio sessions going on at the same time. And it wouldn't just be important for podcasting, which at this point is a pretty big industry. You know, it's not just a niche of <laughs> 20 people around the world doing podcasts. It's, there's, you know, I wouldn't say millions, but there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts at, uh, right now. Uh, it would be important for that, but it would also be important for musicians, for, for, you know, audio engineers, for all kinds of folks who deal with audio and want to be able to work on iPad. So, um, better support for external hardware, for microphones, for headphones, for recording multiple, multiple audio sessions, and to have mul multiple audio streams going on at the same time without one pausing the other. So this is a, a, a task that I still have to complete on my mic, but as I said before, if I really have to, I can record a podcast on my iPad. It's just a bit more limited, and I can only do one track at a time, and I need a bunch of expensive hardware to do so. It's possible, but it would be better if it was modeled after the, the way the audio works on the Mac. Right. And I think you know, sometimes as this topic is talked about, people will say, well, there's plenty of ways that you can podcast from an iPad. And that's true, but not in the way that you're used to. And really in a way that it's not like you have some crazy preferences or you're, you know, a, a high needs podcast or anything like that. No, it's really no. important to be able to have, for example, a backup recording because issues do happen. And when you're making podcasts, if you go through the whole thing and then for some reason your one recording source gets messed up somehow or the file gets corrupted, then you're out of luck. And when it comes to doing pro work on the iPad, it's important to have backups and have contingencies so that you know you don't just lose your data all of a sudden and have to redo all the work that you'd spend a lot of time on because it's not just a thing for podcasting or even music creation or audio 
But exactly. in, in general, um, this is why file management is so important. And for example, last summer in the iOS 13 beta cycle, when iCloud Drive was having a lot of issues, it's a really serious problem because you need to be able to depend on these things. If you're going to use the iPad, you need to be able to depend on it to do what you need it to do. And so if if it can't do that, which, you know, no, nothing is perfect, that's why you need backups. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all to, to want that. Um, for myself, you know, this is, again, similar situation where I have a Mac Mini exclusively for podcasting. I don't do anything else with it. <laughs> and I, I bought it. And initially, I really tried to, as much as possible, still kind of fake my way into the iPad being you know, the device that I used for podcasting because I didn't have a monitor connected to my Mac Mini. I used it headless and connected to it through my iPad via a Luna display. And that worked for a while and it was fine. Um, eventually, I I kind of gave up and because there are times where, you know, the Luna display would become disconnected and then I would have to connect my Mac Mini to my TV so that I could see the monitor for a brief time so I could reconnect things and all that. It just wasn't great. And so now I'm back to, I, I bought an external monitor. So I've got a separate monitor to do all the podcasting stuff on, which is nice. It's good to have that extra screen space. Um, but, you know, during that time when I was using the Luna display, it was kind of like, it felt like I was, you know, podcasting from my iPad and the Mac mini was kind of just an accessory in, in that mm. sense to, to help make mm-hmm. it possible. So you can do something like that. Uh, it's not perfect, but but there are options out there. Speaking of displays, uh, that brings me to my second point, which is the ability to manage apps and windows across multiple displays. Now, this is not something that I do often, but when I do, I can absolutely tell that I prefer macOS because the iPad does not have proper support for external displays at all. So this usually happens when I'm watching an Apple event from home or some other keynote from home, like a Nintendo presentation or uh, an E3 presentation from Sony or Microsoft, for example. And I want to have multiple large windows open at the same time, uh, like, I don't know, TweetDeck on one side and then the video and then notes if I want to take some notes um, and maybe Slack if I'm talking to my friends over Slack. Um, and when I have to, when I want to run that setup, the only way to do so is from my Mac Mini. My Mac Mini is connected to an ultra-fine 4K display, and then I can use my iPad or my TV as an additional display uh, to you know, move one or two windows to the other display. And the iPad cannot do this at all. The iPad Pro can connect via USB-C, uh, for example, to my ultra-fine 4K. The ability to connect to external displays has always been, uh, has long been available on, on the iPad via HDMI adapters, for example. But now with the latest 2018 iPad Pros, Apple also added the ability to use USB-C, which is very nice improvement. But integration with external displays is still limited in that, by default, most apps and system features uh, use the basic mirroring for displaying exactly what you're seeing on the iPad on the external display, usually with pillar boxing, which means these black bars at the, at the edges of the display. because by default, again, the system cannot fill the entire contents of an external display. The iPad cannot have m- proper window management across displays. 
So on the Mac, for example, you would say keep this window on the desktop and drag this window onto the, the other display on the right. And that is not something that you can do at all on the iPad. Some apps can output uh, a specific view onto an external display, but you cannot manage that window. You don't have any interactivity with that window because, again, uh, you don't have any uh, support for external pointing devices, for example. You can't say, I want to touch this window on an external display that is not the iPad. Even if, if you have a mouse connected to iPadOS 13, that mouse is only a sort of virtual replica of your finger. So it, it cannot move over to the external display. And so I believe that it's time for, for the iPad to gain proper integration with external displays, with the ability to get, first of all, get rid of the pillar boxing and have, uh, you know, the home screen and other system features and, and you know, other areas of, of iPadOS take advantage of the entire contents of an external display. But really, what I would love to have is a way to run multiple home screens, if you will, or multiple spaces, and manage them across this place. So a way to keep, for example, Safari, one window of Safari on the external display, and another Safari window on my iPad, without necessarily having to do the mirroring. So whatever is on my iPad is also on my external display. I want to be able to split that and to choose where my windows should go. Again, like on a Mac. I have been playing around with this new app called uh, Shift Screen, and which is a, a clever idea that needs a, a few more refinements, and I believe the developer is working on them. It's been, it's been very responsive on Twitter. Uh, Shift Screen is uh, the kind of utility that, that, is, uh, that comes from the, from the limitations of the platforms in the sense that it's an app that lets you open websites and documents. So it's got its own web view uh, to navigate to any web page. Or it comes with a file speaker. And the file speaker uses the native quick look feature to let you open and preview any document. But what Shift Screen does is it lets you open up to six windows um, views inside the app for a website or a document. And then what you can do is you can transfer the document or website from the iPad onto an external display and you can lock it. So the idea would be the shift screen is this utility to open web pages or documents on an external display without pillar boxing while you can continue to do something else on your iPad. So the easiest solution to do this would be uh, keep shift screen in split view in a compact layout on one side of the screen open a website, the website stays open on the external display, and then on the iPad, on the other side of split view, you can open anything else and continue working while having a separate window, which again can be a document or a web page, on an external display powered by shift screen. And that's an ingenious idea. There's a bunch of issues like um, scaling, for example, with my 4K monitor, uh, for web pages is way too small and there needs to be a setting. I believe the developer is working on this. Uh, but the idea is the right one in the sense that I should be able to choose freely what content I want to see on an external display. And so I believe that Shift Screen is the, at the, at the, at the core of the app, the idea is the correct one. Even if the execution is not perfect right now, but the idea of saying, 
this is the content um, I need to work with. Let me choose. Do I want to see this on the iPad or do I want to see this on the external display? And so maybe, you know, this is the kind of app that eventually will be Sherlocked, but I think it's a good example of what I would like to do. Uh, it doesn't have to be designed like on macOS with multiple desktops and, and dragging and managing windows. Shift screen has a bunch of buttons to let you do so. You can easily, with a couple of taps, move windows around. It doesn't have to look like a desktop. So I hope that in, in iPadOS 14 or maybe next year, I don't know, but that we will have proper integration with multiple displays and windows on iPadOS. This is one of the things that you've written about before, just the ability for the iPad to serve as this modular device that works in different configurations. Yes. And the the current external monitor support is not great, as you've outlined before. And so, yeah, it'd be really neat to see Apple continue to push the bounds here so that the iPad can be a great device in all these various you know setups versus right now where it's like, oh yeah, you can use it that way, but it's not ideal. It's really best suited for, mm -hmm. for other uses. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Apple do something there. The Files app is my third point. And I have a, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the Files app in that I love that Apple finally accepted the reality of offering a file manager on, on iPhone and iPad. And I love the fact that they didn't, necessarily copy the macOS approach in that the home screen is still your main view on the iPhone and iPad. It's not the desktop and the and files is, a, yes, a system-wide file manager, but it's not the primary way of navigating your device. You still navigate your device by and large using app icons and windows. Um, but I don't like how the files app has been stagnating over the past couple of years. And I especially do not like the technical problems that I've had with the Files app since iOS 13 came out. And by technical problems, I mean views often getting stuck and forcing me to force quit files and reopening it, or being unable to find documents via search, or having downloads um, very frequently getting stuck with the spinner uh, icon going and going and never downloading like a 20 kilobit <laughs> file. Uh, that kind of stuff is, you know, um, and, and uh, something else that I've noticed lately, which really annoys me, is I often get an error uh, that is extremely poorly worded that says the operation cannot be completed. And, and that happens sometimes, but, you know, quite frequently, like at least once a week, uh, whenever I try to do something as simple as dropping a file into a folder or unzipping an archive. And I do that and it says operation, or maybe it's an operation not permitted, something like that. Something that doesn't really make sense. Uh, and to fix that, I have to reboot my iPad. And my iPad is not running any beta. It's on the stable version of 13.3.1 or whatever it is right now. So there's the technical issues, but there's also the issues with feature parity between the finder and files. Files has been available since uh, 2017. So uh, it's uh, with iOS 11. Uh, it's uh, the third year that we've had files available. And it's still lacking basic features from the Finder, such as you cannot change the file extension of a document on your iPad. And sometimes you got to do this if you want to, you know, 
if you maybe download a file that is uh, named uh, strangely with the format that you got to fix and, and you cannot do that because you cannot change the file extension on your iPad. Um, features like batch renaming documents, uh, which is one of the best features from the Finder on the Mac. You can select a bunch of documents at the same time and then you can batch rename them. That is not available on, on iPad. Um, smart folders and the ability to save searches that is also not available on, on iPadOS and, 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 and the iPhone with files. And so that is why whenever I need to do serious file management in the sense that I have a, you know, a heavy workload of like 50 different documents that I got to uh, organize and file and send to my accountant, for example. Whenever I need to do that, I use my Mac because I've tried to do that with the iPad and it's possible, but it's just, it takes me three times the same the amount of time that it would take me on the Mac, and so I just use the Mac. And, and I, I str- for those scenarios, I struggle to see the benefit of using the iPad when the files app is so limited. And it, 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 ultimately, it's a matter of trade-offs. I know that by using the Mac, I'm, I'm sacrificing the ability to use features like drag-and-drop with multi-touch or shortcuts which I use a lot for file organization or just in general, my favorite apps. But the basic act of organizing documents is so much better with the Finder, especially when you have a lot of documents to deal with at the same time. So I really hope that Apple this year can fix the performance issue, issues of files, the stability of files, but also bring over more features. It's a good sign that last year we've had a new files app with native support for zip and unzip and and column view so i want to believe that apple is on the right path you know they have folder sharing coming with icloud drive in 13.4 next month so i want to believe they are course correcting the files app and bringing over more features and bringing new features even but uh you know still too early to tell i want to see what they do at wwdc yeah and you and i have both talked about how we expect that at some point shortcuts is going to get much better Mm. files integration than it has Mm. now where you could read and write to the file system and you have to think that at some point that's coming and if so you know some of these other features that you talk about like battery naming or changing file extensions that that would be a good fit if apple didn't want to build those things into the files app itself they could make it part of a new and improved shortcuts integration with files. Oh, that's a good. That's a good point. So I could yes. see that happening, perhaps, and uh, it'd be a nice feature to have. Yeah, a lot of a lot of these advanced features that could easily just be shortcuts, and they could be shortcuts that Apple could integrate. I believe we mentioned this before. They could integrate them as quick actions in the in the files app. Um, the files app now has an inspector in in iOS 13 and iPadOS 13, just like on the Mac. And on the Mac, in the inspector, uh, in addition to the, the thumbnail preview and the files uh, metadata, you also have quick actions that on the Mac can be system quick actions or user-provided quick actions. They can be automator workflows, they can be Apple scripts, they can be third-party uh, actions from apps. And on iOS, it would make total sense to not only let developers uh, create a new extension type, which could be a, a quick action a quick action for files, but to let users create quick actions in the form of shortcuts. So Apple wouldn't have to, as you mentioned, build 
batch renaming or more complex workflows for file management, you could build it yourself and and sort of bookmark it as a quick action in, in the files inspector. That would be amazing. So I really hope that they do this eventually. Last point, Ryan, um, system-wide automations. So in iOS and iPadOS 13, Apple launched, quite surprisingly, I would say, support for background automations in shortcuts. As we, we've had a, an episode about this, there's two types of automations, those that run independently from your uh, manual confirmation and those that send you a notification and, and that require you to manually confirm that you want to proceed with an automation. On the Mac, though, automation is an entirely different story because we have tools like Hazel, like Keyboard Maestro, like Apple Script, like Alfred, for example, that lets you create complex and more powerful automations. And specifically, the apps like Hazel. So the idea that um, you on the Mac you can monitor changes to a folder, any folder from the Finder, in the background, and then perform tasks automatically when something changes, when something triggers one of your conditions. That is an amazing automation technology. Apple actually has, I believe, their own system uh, native, but of course less powerful uh, version of this. I believe they're called folder action scripts, something like that. And Hazel takes that idea uh, to the extreme by letting you create complex sets of rules and conditions and then performing actions for you. And this idea, this type of automation um, is entirely absent from iPadOS at the moment. There's no file-based trigger that says when this document changes or when a new document is added to this folder, do this in shortcuts. And that, I believe, should be something that Apple, again, as you mentioned, if Apple were to do deeper integration between files and shortcuts, it will make complete sense to also add in this feature, file-based automation, to sort of let you replicate uh, the typical Hazel setup. Uh, on the Mac. And I do incredible things with Azel. I've always been doing really fantastic things with Azel. Back in the day, uh, Ryan, I used to have, so this is a fun story. I used to have uh, a, a Mac mini server that I was using just for me um, back before, uh, you know, Mac Stadium. Um, back before they were called Mac Stadium, they were called Mac Mini Colo. And I used to rent a personal Mac mini just for me uh, at Mac Mini Colo that I was basically just using for Hazel automations. And those Hazel automations that were running in the cloud, you could say, because that Mac Mini could be accessed remotely, those Hazel automations involved image uploading to our CDN, uh, performing OCR on PDF documents that I was then saving to Evernote using Hazel and AppleScript on that Mac Mini. It was incredible. And, and I have since stopped renting the personal Mac Mini. I now have a, an actual Mac Mini in my home. But I'm still doing a lot of things with Azel, like, for example, downloading YouTube videos or organizing my music library collection by moving files around and creating folders and deleting files. So the idea of having this integration between files and shortcuts, it's something that I really hope that Apple considers eventually. And also, and again, this is, incredibly niche, but I need to mention it. 
one kind of automation that we also have on macOS is the is the terminal, right? The ability to run shell scripts with the terminal and to have integration with the desktop. Uh, one one example uh, would be that for Mac Stories, whenever we create eBooks for our Club Mac Stories members, so EPUB versions of my iOS review and other long form stories, we do that with a script. And that script is, is a build script that Brett Terpstra created for us. And it's the kind of program that you run as a shell command on the Mac. And when you do that, it accesses a bunch of different assets and files locally via the finder. So the script goes into a folder and grabs the cover of the ebook, goes to another folder and grabs the text, for example. You know, it accesses a bunch of different sources of data and puts them all together and spits out uh, an ebook file. And that kind of automation is basically still impossible to do on iPad. Not because we don't have shell apps, because we do. Uh, I've, lately, I've been testing this app called A-Shell on my iPad. But the problem is we lack that integration between the desktop and really the file system and automation apps. So the idea of being able to access an entire folder and go through you know, one document after the other. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is to be able to have automation that is tied to the file system, but not just a single file at a time, entire folders, entire sections of your iCloud drive, for example. So uh, whether it's about um, shortcuts, uh, replicating some of the features from Hazel, or this idea of letting power users access apps, uh, have apps like the terminal on iOS with features that are comparable to the Mac. I really hope that this becomes possible. If anything, again, they should just throw it into shortcuts as an advanced feature that, you know, 50 people will ever use and that's fine. Okay, we are going to move on to talk about my challenge. Uh, mm -hmm. But before we do that, let me thank our first sponsor. This episode of Adapt is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. So no matter how good your content or how effective your marketing is, those users will most likely leave if your website is loading too slow. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues are affecting your visitors' experience. You can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, and platform that they use. You can identify how visitors are experiencing your website so that you can make informed optimizations to deliver great performance to those users who matter most. Did we mention that it is built for scalability? Uh, there's real user monitoring, which is an event-based solution meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or break the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Just go to pingdom.com slash RealAFM for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code ADAPT at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show 
and all of Relay FM. All right, Federico, mm-hmm. what was your challenge? Remind our listeners for us. So my challenge for you was based on a question that I get quite frequently, personally, and it was um, find or create yourself really, really large uh, TXT and PDF documents and try to open them or edit them on the iPad. And, And I ask you to see which apps would choke on them and which would do a decent job at dealing with documents of a really large size. I have a, I had an idea of how this would go, but I'm curious to hear from you. Well, first I should probably say thank you because you kind of helped me in this challenge, I, I think <laughs> unintentionally, but you... Yes, it was unintentional. So in a couple of different ways. Uh, so the challenge involved both text files and PDFs. With PDFs, you kind of had your own experiment going on where you were trying to take the entire backlog of Club Mac Stories, you know, weekly newsletters and get them as PDFs and do do all this work. And that ended up producing, by accident, actually, a PDF containing all of those newsletters in one. And that PDF was over two gigabytes large. And uh, you shared that <laughs> with me, which was fantastic because I, I was like, oh, I don't have to go find some crazy PDF. I've got one now. Um, and then with text files, you actually, is it last week? Uh, yeah, last week you, for our Club Mac Stories newsletter, did a collection of apps that were just a variety of plain text editors, some of which I had never heard of before. And so I got to try some of those apps in as part of this challenge. So thank you for the head start that you gave me in both of these areas. That was helpful. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so I'll start with text files because it was the more disappointing outcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, ah, mm-hmm. And this, this really surprised me. But so, I knew this, this would happen. <laughs> so what I did at first was I created a, a document inside of Pretext, which is one of my favorite plain text editors. Uh, what I did is I just, you know, typed some text and then copy and pasted it a bunch of times and then copy pasted that a bunch of times and and just got to where the document had a whole bunch of words in it. Uh, I got it up to where the size of the plain text file was 3.3 megabytes. And after that point, the app would actually crash every time mm-hmm. that I tried to add more to the document. So I tried to copy-paste again, and it just would not let me. And then even just trying to type to add a single character into that document would have a several-second delay. Um, Pretext would still let me scroll and navigate the full document without delay, so it was smooth and fine with that. So I could read it, but I couldn't really add to it without it just choking, as you've already said. So I took that same document. And I opened it in Ulysses, which is so. My, this is three point five megabytes, right? Yeah, three point three. Three point three. Okay. Yeah, three point three megabytes. I opened the document in Ulysses, and I discovered after opening it because Ulysses offers, you know, character count things like that. I discovered that the document was six hundred twenty-five thousand words. So it's a lot of words for this three megabyte document. In Ulysses, I was able to browse the entire document again 
Uh, I could type in it, and there was a noticeable delay, but it wasn't quite as bad as pretext. Mm. It, it wasn't really tolerable. It wasn't something that you know, was realistic to work with, but it was a lot better than pretext was. I actually was able to impressively take those 625,000 words and copy-paste them again within the document inside of okay. Ulysses. Okay. And, and so I got up over 1.2 million words in this one nice. document. <laughs> which I, I didn't end up going any bigger than that, um, as I'll mention in a second. But so the document got up to 6.5 megabytes. And as you would expect, trying to type was <laughs> much slower <laughs> at this point. Um, but I was like, okay, I've made some progress. I doubled the size of the document and I was still able to navigate it. And so I was like, this is good. Let's see what the next app will do. And I just tried a whole bunch of apps from there. So with this now 6.5 megabyte document, 1.2 million words, I loaded it in Codex, which is an app that you mentioned in your collection of plain text apps last week with Club Mac Stories. And I think I even remember you specifically saying mm -hmm. how well Codex does with really large text files and so yeah but now 1.2 million works <laughs> yeah. large <laughs> yeah as i learned so i tried codex first because i was like oh this may be the one I, I might as well try that and maybe maybe it'll be great um it wasn't so it was very slow i i was able to load the document um but it, it just wasn't a good experience it it i, I could type in it again but it was mm -hmm. extremely delayed loading the document was extremely delayed so that one didn't work well I tried uh, Femto, which is a relatively new plain text editor. Again, it was a similar situation. It eventually loaded the document after a long delay. Uh, I scrolled, so this one really wasn't great. I tried to scroll, and just the act of scrolling had a massive delay. Mm. So I, I didn't even stick around to see how long it would take to respond to my scroll gesture because it was mm -hmm. taking a little while, and I was like, okay, if, if it can't even scroll, then it's definitely not going to be able to let me edit the document at all. No, no. <laughs> so that took too long. I gave up on that. I moved on to IA Writer. I opened the document, but when I tried to expand the editor view to take up the full window, so the way that IA Writer works is it's got a sidebar, where you it contains your documents, and then it's got the editor view, but you can tap a little button to expand the editor to full screen view. I tried doing that, and the app got stuck. It could not switch fully to take up the whole screen. And so I let it sit there for a little while, and then I gave up on it. Like, okay, it can't handle this. It won't be able to handle edits. Moved on to drafts. Uh, what I did with drafts is because... As far as I'm aware, there's not a native action for um, loading files from an external source. And I had this plain text document stored in local storage on my iPad. Um, so what I did is I just tried to import the file using the share sheet. And uh, what I did, you know, I just shared the document from files, hit the share extension for drafts. Uh, I got a message inside of drafts that the document exceeded the max length allowed. Oh, wow. And so drafts truncated the file down to 172,000 words, so much, much smaller. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it ran smoothly then, which was fine. I'm, I'm guessing the other apps would have run smoothly too with a document that size, but it wouldn't even let me import the full file size. So that one wasn't great. Um, I just, just for fun, just, you know, in case I tried to open the plain text document in pages, I didn't know what would happen. Um, Pages couldn't open it. It just, it would not open. It <laughs> just refused. It just refused to open it. So, uh, moved on to OneWriter. OneWriter, it was actually pretty decent. So, at first, I thought, because it, it loaded the file relatively quickly, at least compared to the other apps I tried, and then it scrolled through it really smoothly, I was like, oh, this may be the app. This is, this is the one that's going to work. I tried typing in it and it did work, but it was delayed. It was, you know, not not the worst that I'd seen as far as a delay, but again, it really wasn't workable. It wasn't something that you know, someone could could use realistically. Uh, and it was the same exact situation with Textastic, another plain text app. I tried it and kind of the same as OneWriter. Things loaded fine. I could scroll through it, but then when it came to typing in the document, there was a big delay, so that wasn't great. And then the one final app that I tried related to plain text documents was Coda by Panic, which on Mm. the App Store, it's called Code Editor. But um, a listener actually recommended this on Twitter. So they sent a tweet saying that, you know, this app, for them at least, really does well with, extremely large text files and so i was like okay this is great you know even if i had to go with a listener recommendation at least i found one potentially but getting help left and right for this yeah exactly and yet and yet i still could not succeed because even coda could not um, Mm. type effectively with you know minimal delays i could scroll through the document but typing was a big hang-up and so after that, I gave up, which was really disappointing. I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, to find a solution, to find an app that worked well, and, and I just could not find one, which is really unfortunate, really disappointing. And uh, fortunately, there is better news to share when it comes to PDFs. So that's kind of the, the one silver lining of this challenge. Uh, I took that PDF that you gave me, which contained... Um, I think it was, it wasn't even actually the full archive of Mac Stories Weekly newsletters. It was 100 issues, which, as I said earlier, was over a 2 gigabyte file. So it's mm-hmm. 2.14 gigabytes. There were 3,935 pages, which contain all these different images and everything. Um, it took a long time for me to export that PDF out of Dropbox, which is how you shared it. But then once I did, I had it again, in local storage on my iPad. And apps actually did really well with that PDF. I was very surprised. So the first thing I tried was just opening it in files with Quick Look, and it was great. It was perfect, actually. So it loaded quickly inside of files, and I was able to scroll through the document really smoothly. It didn't even have issues of, like, having to load the pages as I scrolled quickly. Like there wasn't a noticeable delay in in viewing the pages as they loaded. And everything just worked really, really well. I was very impressed 
at how files and the native quick look feature worked with this massive PDF. Uh, I moved on and tried some third-party apps. So I tried PDF Expert and PDF Viewer, which are two of the best PDF apps that I've tried. Um, PDF Expert did all right. There was a little bit of choppiness in the scrolling. It wasn't, you know, any like major issue, but it just wasn't quite as smooth as what I found in files. There was also a bit of a delay in loading the pages as I scrolled quickly. So I tried, you know, that trick that Apple added in iOS and iPadOS 13 this past year, where you can grab the um, the scroll indicator on the right side of the screen and just move very quickly from top to bottom to scroll really quickly through large documents. And so I did that in files and it was great. I did that in PDF Expert and I kind of had to see for a couple seconds uh, a delay of the contents loading for different pages. And so it wasn't great, but it was fine. PDF Viewer was mostly similar to PDF, PDF Expert. It did a little bit better, I'd say. There was a little bit of choppiness when scrolling, but not much. Um, I didn't experience the delay with pages loading, so that was nice. Mostly everything was really smooth and it went well. I did also try Apple Books. So you can add PDFs to Apple Books, whether by importing them with a share sheet or using drag and drop, just dropping a PDF into your library. And that's what I did with this PDF. In Apple Books, it doesn't actually let you do a scrolling view with PDFs like you can with EPUBs inside the app. And so I wasn't able to you know, scroll through and see how that responded. But I was able to kind of tap around to different pages. The way that Apple Books um, interface works for PDFs is you've got thumbnail previews at the bottom of the screen of all the different pages. And so I tapped around through those pages, everything loaded instantly, and it worked well. And so PDFs were a success with this challenge. They went um, as well as I could have hoped, really. But plain text files were a real disappointment. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I, I expressed last time when you were giving me this challenge that, you know, I didn't realize that anyone ever really worked with plain text files that were several megabytes large. But, um, but if you need to do that, then the iPad really struggles. At least mm-hmm. the, you know, however many 10 or so apps that I tried, there just wasn't a great one. Some were better than others but none of them was really up to par of, of what I would expect. And so that's, that's definitely disappointing. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't surprise me that the PDF uh, preview system is actually as, as better performance because I know that Apple put in a bunch of work into that over the past couple of years uh, with the addition of markup and, and quick look, uh, the quick look thumbnailing and previewing system. So this is pretty much what I expected. If you still have the plain text document, Ryan, and if you can test it with BB Edit on the Mac, they have a free version that you should be able to, to use. Um, we could follow up on that in the next episode, just for context, because BB Edit very famously on the Mac can deal relatively well with uh, large documents. I have never tested 1.2 million words in BB Edit though, but I want to see what that's like if you can. Okay, yeah, I will. Rather than have our listeners wait and you you have to stall and you know you could start telling jokes or something if you want to wait while i download it and do all that but um maybe the better option would be for us to follow up next time yes okay well 
let's let's get some ask adapt questions in before we close out today um before we move into ask adapt let me thank our second sponsor Uh, this episode of adapt is also brought to you by previs pro Uh, if you make films or create videos then you already know the importance of using storyboards to design that perfect shot previs pro is a brand new ios and ipadOS app for storyboarding film and video and it was created by the developer Freeverse, who has won multiple Apple Design Awards in the past. Unless you're a trained artist, your storyboards might just be stick figures, which makes storyboarding hard to experiment with and hard to share with others. But if you'd rather create set-ready storyboards with three-dimensional scenes, camera movements, lens and lighting information, then give Previs Pro for your iPhone or iPad a try. Create storyboards anywhere at any time, even on set and under pressure. You can experiment with camera angles, movements, or sequences, uh, save the shots that you like, and discard the ones that you don't, and then import your final draft screenplay. What used to take hours now just takes a few minutes. Previs Pro comes with hundreds of customizable props, characters, and structures, or you can use photos to build your own and even use their augmented reality feature. There are monthly, annual, and lifetime payment options, but you can try Previs Pro absolutely free for a week through the App Store. Just search Previs Pro, that's Previs with an S, then just install it and start creating. Our thanks to Previs Pro for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, it is time for some hashtag ask adapt questions questions and as a reminder if you want to ask us something that we may be able to answer on the show just ask us on twitter using the hashtag ask adapt and we have some magic going on in the cloud that will save those questions for us so the first question comes from listener michael listener michael wants to know federico how is the smart key portfolio holding up after having installed the spigen kickstands is it scratched scratched or dented um, not at all, really. So uh, the Spigen kickstands are part of the kickstand method that I described again last year. Uh, in, in on Mac stories, I have photos uh, showing what that's like. I have four metal kickstands attached to the back of the smart keyboard folio that allow me to use the iPad with two different viewing angles: one for touch typing mode, the other for movie watching mode, and. I can confirm that the area where the kickstand um, sort of uh, is placed, uh, you know, when it's open, when it when it touches the surface of the smart keyboard folio, it's not scratched, it's not dented. But I also have stickers on my smart cover, so on my smart keyboard, so it is possible that the stickers are hiding the the problem. But I wouldn't know because I don't want to remove them. But it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it's dented or there's like, a, it's not like there's a hole in it. It looks fine. But the kickstand itself is a bit scratched. So, you know, the, the upper section of the kickstand where it says Spigen, that's a bit scratched. And that's because the, the kickstand is actually touching uh, my desk, for example, or a table or other things in my bag. So it is the kickstand that is actually scratched, uh, but it's fine. It works just fine, and the smart keyboard folio is fine. 
Listener Lazaro wants to know, if Federico, can you try combining the Switch Easy cover body with the bridge keyboard? Do they fit together? Does the pairing look all right? I actually haven't tested this, but I don't believe that it will because the 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 cover the Switch Easy cover body does add a bit of um, a, a bit of thickness to the iPad, just slightly. Uh, I believe that. The iPad works fine with the bridge keyboard if you have a film protector like the Paperlike or the Moshi iVisor. I I should try find again the bridge prototype um, that I have for the um, new version that is coming out at some point. Uh, and I will follow up on this again once I get the final production unit for the bridge keyboard pro with the trackpad. So maybe we will talk about that more in the future once the once I have a final review unit for the pro version but I don't believe it will fit because the cover body case adds uh, thickness to the iPad and I I believe that the, the bridge keyboard hinges, they fit just right and I don't think there's room for anything else. All right, Jonathan asks, uh, I listened to your discussion of Plex and Prism. I want to skip the Plex. So is there an iOS player that will play content mm. directly from storage attached huh. to the iPad? Or even yeah. from local files in the files app. Yeah, this is also something that I want from local storage attached to the iPad. Yeah, but. this is this is not possible right now. Mm. Um, one app that it doesn't do quite what you're looking for, Jonathan, but it does let you kind of work with an offline local storage library. Uh, it's an app called Doppler. And it's actually just an iPhone app, so there's no iPad version. You could obviously run it on your iPad and blown up version, but it's not great. Um, so Doppler lets you store your own music library offline. And there is a really great feature for importing music from any other file source. Um, Doppler does some cool things for importing music, but but yeah, no, you can't play that music directly off of an external file source. You'd have to actually do the import uh, process first. So nothing nothing mm-hmm. at this time. L- let me say, though, that this is technically possible and developers should actually be able to do this if they wanted to. Because when I was working on my iOS 13 review, I was testing a bunch of apps. And one of them was Scriptable, uh, the JavaScript app by Simon Storing. And Scriptable is one of the few apps on the platform that takes advantage of the files bookmarks technology. And a bookmark is basically um, a bookmark to a a persistent bookmark to a file or folder from any location of the files app. And by creating a bookmark, you do it once and you grant Scriptable access to that file or folder. And if it's a folder, files contained within that folder forever. As long as the bookmark exists, you create it the first time, and in the future, Scriptable can always access the contents of that folder. So in theory, it would be possible for a music player for iPad or iPhone to create their own versions, uh, like to implement the bookmarks technology and say, you have music stored on an external drive or a network-mounted drive, create a bookmark once, by navigating with the files app to that drive. And then in the future, you will be able to play music from that folder because the app will be able to access the folder 
uh, without having you know to open the folder manually every time, the app will have persistent access to that folder and it will be able to see all subfolders and music files and should be able to play them. I think in theory, this is possible. I want to have something like this because I would love to be able to play music locally on my iPad to play the FLAC music collection that I have on an external drive. I would love to access it um, without having to run Plex on my Mac Mini. But, you know, I want maybe somebody will, will test this and will prove to us whether my theory is correct or not. Uh, Dylan wants to know, do you use the favorites feature in shortcuts? And if so, what are some of your favorites actions? Some of your favorite actions? I, uh, Dylan, I do not use the favorites feature at the moment. I used to back in the days of workflow when actions were fewer and I used to bookmark some of them. I don't anymore because I, I'm just faster at searching for actions by name, by title. I would love though, I would very much prefer the ability to, to sort of like bookmark entire blocks of actions. Like for example, I have common routines or flows of actions like checking for errors, for errors, for example, or presenting alerts that I create all the time. And I would love to be able to save those actions with parameters filled in as presets. Editorial, uh, the text editor for iPhone and iPad, which, by the way, got a sort of a surprise compatibility update last week. Uh, the developer has a whole thread on Twitter that you should check out. Um, Editorial, years ago, came up with a, with a preset feature for actions that allowed you to save commonly used actions with uh, variables already filled in so that in any workflow that you wanted to reuse the same action, you could just open the presets and drag it in. And I would love to have the same uh, feature in Shortcuts, but for now they just have the favorites, but the favorites, they only save the vanilla version of an action, which again, at that point, I'm a, I, I can just search for the action instead of going through the process of marking them as favorites and then re reusing them. All right. Our last question comes from Famoso, who says, I am a radiologist, and now and then I have to open a patient CT or MRI scan from a DVD. Is there any way at all to do this on an iPad? And he says, by the way, the current state of medical apps for the iPad is dreadful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think this is possible. I, um, as far as I know, there is no... USB driver support on an iPad for CDs and DVDs. And this is why, Famoso, uh, I also had to use a Mac to rip my CD collection to uh, FLAC using an Apple SuperDrive that I connected to my Mac via USB. The SuperDrive, when I connected that to my iPad, nothing happened. So the iPad is actually lacking CD and DVD or Blu-ray driver support uh, so I'm afraid that there's nothing to be done here at the moment. I mean, tech, again, in theory, if you're a specialized company, you could probably make your own driver, but that would require having it be dedicated, just like a specific feature of your app. Like if you're a medical company X, you can make a, a native iPad app that allowed you to connect a USB device to browse the contents of a CD or DVD, it wouldn't be, though, like a native feature of the Files app, and it wouldn't be something that Apple provides you 
with as a, as a framework, because again, um, there's no CD or DVD framework for iOS and iPadOS. I do hope that Apple continues to open up the USB framework more and more to allow for more types of peripherals in the future. So I hope that this is something that continues. And again, I know that CDs, DVDs, Blu-rays are at the moment, you know, and possibly, you know, for good, they're going to just remain a niche. But it's one of those features that when you, when you come across it, you realize, oh, I actually need a, an old-fashioned computer to, to access this data or to perform this task. And, you know, the drivers exist for macOS. So what I guess what I would like to see is just Apple to allow them on iOS, and then it's up to developers to use them. But to provide developers with a native API, that would be, that would be good. But yeah, no DVDs at the moment. Well, that has been this week's Ask Adapt. If you have a question for us about the iPad, about iPad OS, any of the things we've talked about, just write it on Twitter. Use the hashtag AskAdapt, and we will see those and may answer them in a future episode. Or if you go to our website, relay.fm slash adapt, you can write us an email instead. Now, before we close out today, let mm-hmm. me give you a challenge. So, okay. Federico, I've been thinking about how, you know, one of the things that happens when you are using an iPad is that you typically still need to collaborate with people who aren't using an iPad because, you know, lots of people mm. don't use an iPad as their main computer. And so collaboration has kind of been on my mind and there's a lot of different ways that this could go, but I kind of want to make it very specific and limited, which is you and I use a working copy to access shared markdown documents that are drafts for different stories that we're working on for Mac stories. And we can make edits in those documents and push those edits. They're stored in a GitHub repository. Um, And so that's kind of what we've been doing for years now. And I know lots of other people when it comes to collaboration on text documents, lots of people use Google Docs. Um, There's some other options out there. But I, I just want you to see, especially because we have been using Worky Copy for so long and have been happy with that system, I just want you to see what are the other options that are out there for people who want to collaborate on text documents where they can you know, have a document that's stored in the cloud somehow and other people can make edits to it. I know Google Docs is obviously the popular one and there's some, some ways that that works well now in Safari and iPadOS, but it still mm-hmm. has some issues. Um, but I, I just want you to do kind of a a little survey and see what other options are out there. Like if you and I were not using working copy anymore, what would we use? Um, Mm. So just do some exploration, see what options are out there that work well on the iPad, but that also, you know, work well for people who don't use an iPad as their main computer so that you can collaborate across different platforms like that. All right. We'll do. I have some ideas. All right. Well, that has been episode 19 of Adapt. I'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode, Pingdom and Previs Pro. If you want to find show notes for today, you can go to our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash 19. And if you'd like to follow us online, Federico is on Instagram and Twitter as at Vitici. That's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. You can find me on Twitter as at IRyan, T-L-D-R. 
That's I-R-Y-A-N-T-L-D-R. And of course, we are both writing at maxstories.net. So until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye.